Well, as we consider our message from the book of Ephesians, as we have done so over the past two weeks and will continue for uh, a couple more weeks, we need to consider the question, who are we or maybe what are we? We have been studying this question in one of our Sunday school classes by going through a book called Who Am I by Jerry Bridges. It's an excellent book that I highly recommend, and it is a very relevant and important question to ask ourselves, because as we go through our lives, our understanding of who we are sets the basis for our view of the world that we live in. Our worldview will, in turn, drive how we respond to events in our lives and how we will respond to the world around us. As we have found in this study, we can define ourselves in many ways. We can define ourselves by our occupation. We may say, I'm an engineer, or I'm a police officer, or I'm a housewife. Or we can define ourselves by some life experience. We may say, I'm a veteran, or I'm an alcoholic, or I'm a divorcee, or I'm a widower. In the Christian worldview, everyone on earth can ultimately be divided into two camps. We are either in Adam, meaning we are still a part of a world full of sin and death that is ruled by Satan, or we are in Christ, meaning that we are redeemed and headed for an eternity spent in the presence of God. Most of us here today are in Christ. If you're not sure that you are in Christ, please come see me or Pastor Richard afterwards as we would love to talk to you about this life-changing issue. But even as we are in Christ, we are still living in our flesh, flesh that carries sickness, disease, and death. We are still living in a world that is so full of temptation that the scripture tells us it groans because of its corruption by sin. And we live in a place that is ruled by the evil one until the glorious return of Christ. And that means we will still experience pain, suffering, and struggle with sin as we deal with our flesh the world, and the devil. It should be clear to everyone that we live in an age of warfare, an age of battle. Not only the physical kind of war that we've recently had in Iraq is still going on in Afghanistan, and even on the home front in places like Boston. But maybe more importantly, a cultural battle as well. Cultural influence has made our spiritual footing unsure. Look at the issues we have with divorce rate, so-called same-sex marriage, abortion, single-parent homes, media preoccupation with teens, and the decline in biblical literacy. And in these issues, it's hard to distinguish Christ's church from the world anymore. 
with our cultural focus on individual liberty has come not just occasional temptations, but in many cases ingrained patterns of spiritually destructive behavior. When we take time to pray and reflect, as Scripture tells us to consider our ways, we feel the weight and guilt of sin and pray to God, Lord, please help me to stop. Please help me to stand against the temptation. Please help me to resist sin. Please help me to act differently. Change our habits, not to fall again. But how do we stop the impulses that so powerfully war against us and against our resolve to live a righteous life? Well, praise be to God that he has answered our prayer. And if you would turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 10. If you don't have a Bible with you, you'll find one under the seat in front of you, and our scripture for today can be found on page 979. Okay, Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. These verses begin with the word finally, which indicates to us that there has been some other things Paul has been telling us. And of course, this is all the previous chapters of the book of Ephesians. Paul has laid out for us all that God has done for us in Christ, told us all about the blessings that are made available to us, explained to us the amazing truth of the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, and shown us God's direct revelation through his word. And now, since we are in Christ, how will we respond in light of these truths? Well, the sad reality is that we still find ourselves falling. We still cannot stand in our own strength. But let me be clear. We are not so weak that we can lose our eternal salvation. We cannot be possessed by a demon once we are truly filled with the Holy Spirit. And we are no longer slaves to sin, being ruled by the passions of our flesh and under the power of the forces of darkness. But we can end up living lives filled with strife, 
where we suffer the consequences of sin and we miss out on God's blessings if we can't fight effectively. John 10 tells us, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. We cannot be snatched away. And yet, we can fall into sin that can make us joyless, useless, and subject to divine discipline. David Platt asked the central question at the beginning of his secret church series on angels, demons, and spiritual warfare. He asked, as a church, do we see ourselves as a luxury liner or do we see ourselves as a troop carrier? Will we indulge ourselves in the peaceful comforts of the world or will we engage ourselves in battle for the people around the world? We cannot lose this war, but if we go in ill-equipped, we can lose the battle. Two weeks ago, Doug talked about our adversary, the archangel named Lucifer, that when he fell from heaven took a third of the angels with him. He is a liar called the father of lies who strives to deceive us at every turn. He is an accuser who strives to trick us into thinking that we are powerless against sin because we have failed to stand against it in the past. He is a tempter who entices us to sin with the things of the world, and he is a tormentor who hates us and seeks to cause us ruin and despair. So Paul tells us, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So let's talk about putting on God's armor. Well, this putting on is not a one-time deal. It's something that we have to do every day. We get up every morning, day after day, and prepare ourselves for the spiritual battle because the evil day that Paul describes, it's now, it's today, it's tomorrow, it's every day of our lives until we leave these bodies or until Christ returns. James 4 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. In 1 Peter it says, Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. But before we can put on the armor, we must come to the point in our lives where we realize that we cannot do this in our own strength. None of our works qualify us to resist Satan. Only the confession of our own helplessness apart from God. The only way we can resist the devil is to have our armor on. And once we have on our armor, then we can stand firm. First Corinthians tells us, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. 
But we must realize that the metal of this armor, its strength is not a product of something that we can do. Paul very clearly tells us that it is the strength of his might, God's might. While this armor enables the ability to stand that spiritual warfare requires, we are clearly told that we are required to take a stand. Our efforts are still important and necessary, but we should not believe that they are sufficient. Brian Chappell says, No matter how excellent was his armor, we would not expect a soldier to do well in battle if his previous diet and exercise had not prepared him to fight. I experienced this truth firsthand. When I was deployed to Iraq in 2009, while we were going through the initial training, we were issued armor that we would wear once we got in country. When you totaled up all the equipment I needed to wear, weapons and ammunition I carried, it added up to 60 pounds of stuff. The first time I put on the flak jacket I was issued, it felt very heavy and uncomfortable. I struggled to adjust it properly. It cut into my shoulders, and when it was cinched up, it made me feel claustrophobic, which is not a good thing. I didn't like it at all. But I knew that one day the ceramic plates inside that vest just might save my life. Thankfully, they never had to. But our instructors wisely kept telling us not to fight against our armor, that our bodies would adjust to it over time. And on that day, though I now had armor to wear, I still was not ready for battle because my previous diet and exercise had not sufficiently prepared me for it. But 14 months later, when I left Iraq, after picking up that armor, lifting it over my head, letting it slide down my arms, and then closing it tight around my chest day after day after day, it felt light and easy to wear. Its tightness around my upper body no longer made me feel claustrophobic. Instead, it gave me a very real sense of comfort. My body had conformed to my armor, and I was now ready to wear it into battle. But the armor of God is not physical armor like I wore. It shouldn't be thought of so mechanically. Putting it on is not a series of steps to take or a set of actions or rituals, but we still need to conform our bodies to it to make best use of it. Instead, the pieces of armor described are a relationship with Christ. So how do we put it on? Well, let's take a look at a few of the pieces and see. The first piece we'll look at today is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Paul would have been very familiar with Roman soldiers of the time and very likely had a Roman soldier's wardrobe in mind as he described the pieces of armor. Soldiers usually wore a long, plain shirt under their armor. If you've seen the movie Night at the Museum, 
uh, you'll know that this was not a dress. It was a tunic. Right? It was a tunic. It's not a dress. <clears throat> when you're going into battle, it's not helpful to have your tunic hanging around your knees. It's not very manly to get your sword caught in your undergarments in the face of the enemy. So the first thing the soldier did with his belt was buckle it around his body and tuck the lower hem of the tunic in, pulling in all the loose ends. This made him ready to move quickly and ready for vigorous activity. The belt also served to keep the soldier's body steady like a weightlifter's belt. And finally, it provided a place for the soldier to hang his weapons, a sword or maybe a bow. As we've noted, the devil is a liar. So to stand against him, first we must have truth. The truth we are talking about is more attitudes, truthfulness, sincerity, integrity. As we buckle on this piece of God's armor, we are strengthened by the truth revealed to us in the gospel. And as a consequence of this truth in our lives, we display the characteristics of Christ in our attitudes, languages, and behavior. As we think about the idea of pulling in loose ends like the soldier and his tunic, we think of how important it is for Christians to have their minds secured so that we can understand doctrinal truths and be able to stand firm in them when the deceiver tries to trick us with false doctrines. The next plate of armor mentioned is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. For the Roman soldier, the breastplate was a piece of armor covering the chest. It was sometimes made of woman woven metal chain called mail, which was very heavy. Or it was thin pounded plates of metal, more form-fitted to the soldier like we would normally see in, in movies. We should be careful here not to interpret anything into the order in which Paul mentions the pieces of armor. In general, it doesn't imply any priority or even the order a soldier might put them on because the next item on the list is shoes, and it would probably be a bit hard to put on your shoes once you have on one of these breastplates. But in some sense, the breastplate was really important. After all, it covers the vital organs and the vulnerable parts of a soldier's body. You can get hit in the arm or leg and live, but not in the heart. So what does it mean for us to be protected by righteousness? Well, there is righteousness that is counted to us by faith in Christ. Theologians would call this imputed righteousness. Philippians 3.9 describes it, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Well, I don't believe that this is the righteousness that Paul was talking about. After all, we wouldn't have to put it on day after day if it was something that we already have. 
if it is basic to our nature in Christ and makes us blameless beyond any accusation and is it is given to us at the moment of our salvation. Instead, he's likely talking about an imparted or earned righteousness. This is the righteousness that comes with a good conscience and a godly life. This is what Philippians 2.12 describes as working out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's a practical righteousness in the pattern of our day-to-day living. So the breastplate of righteousness works like a bulletproof vest does today. You can get shot in the arm or leg or maybe even directly in the vest, which will leave a bad bruise and maybe a broken rib, but you'll still be alive. This righteousness doesn't mean sinless perfection like the Pharisees would pursue, but it is a warning against besetting sin that consistently upsets your life a dirty cistern that we keep going back to and drinking from that makes us sick. 2 Corinthians 7.1 encourages us, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. And Romans 13.12, So then let us cast off the works of darkness, and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. With this new life, the Christian warrior strains toward God with a changed heart out of which flows a working and active practical righteousness. This is the breastplate of righteousness. The third piece of armor that we will look at today is the shoes of the gospel of peace. The shoes of the gospel of peace. I think that people uh, intrinsically understand the importance of having the right shoes. I know uh, at my house uh, with three daughters, shoes are a common topic of discussion. Whether it's uh, what shoes are seasonal, what shoes go with what clothes being worn, or for me figuring out what the dog did with my shoe. Particularly as a soldier, the shoes, or uh, in current day, the boots that you wear are of vital importance. I learned that lesson very quickly while I was deployed as well. When you're adding 60 pounds to the weight that your feet normally bear, I discovered quickly that uh, the boots the Army had issued me didn't fit my feet very well. It wasn't that they were poor quality, it was just that the heel cup of the boot didn't fit my heel, and with a few, within a few days, I was having a hard time walking. So I went out and purchased my own boots that fit me right, and things were fine after that. The shoes the Romans wore were tough leather sandals with straps, and they pounded studs down through the bottoms of the shoes 
like the spikes on athletic shoes today. This was done to help them stand firm. Slipping is not a good thing in the middle of combat. Additionally, during this time, traps were starting to be used with what we later called punji sticks. Sticks were buried in the ground with the points sticking up, sometimes smeared with animal waste, and the points would stick a barefoot soldier or one with weak footwear and cause a wound which led to bleeding, infection, and debilitation. And so you were out of the fight before it even began. So the idea here of shoes is again being made ready, equipped, and much like the other parts of the armor. Many think the shoes are a symbolic call to evangelism as in Romans 10.15. But it seems to me that this is a verse about warfare. These verses are about standing, not about going. Having firm footing as we seek to stand in the face of the enemy. So what is it that gives us firm footing? Our verse says, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So what does that mean? Well, a gospel of peace is the good news that you have made peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. To be at peace with God means he is not our enemy, but he is our strength. Remember, Ephesians 10 said, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his might. Not our own strength, but his might. If we are in his might, he is on our side, and so we are invincible. Romans 8.31 tells us, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What joy this should produce in our lives. When we face disappointment, trials, and eventually death in our lives, we can do so with a joyful confidence, knowing that the eternal outcome is assured. This is the stable foundation from which the saint is made ready and can effectively fight and stand. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes of the gospel of peace, all items a good Christian warrior needs to put on every single day. Next week we will talk as we put on our shield, helmet, and sword as the fight begins. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for telling us how to stand firm and how to battle the flesh and the world and Satan that we are still a part of, though we are in Christ. And Lord, mostly we thank you for the reality that we are, first of all, in Christ. Lord, I pray if those are, there are those among us who don't know that truth today. 
who are still in Adam, who don't know you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that even as they have heard this message today, that you have put a desire in their heart to want to have this relationship with Christ, to want to be able to stand firm against the sin and the temptation in their lives. And Lord, for those that are in Christ, I do thank you for that reality in their lives. And I pray that as we have listened to your word today and we continue on this subject for the next couple of weeks, that Lord, your Holy Spirit would help us make it a reality in our lives. And Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Would you please please stand with me as we